Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Gianna Carlo Canaparo. He is the Senior Legal Fellow at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. His writings have appeared in numerous law reviews, including the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy and the Notre Dame Law Review. Giancarlo, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Deacon. So today we're going to kind of talk about, you know, the recent session that we just finished with the Supreme Court. And, you know, there's obviously there's, it, it started off a lot of controversial cases, at least in the eyes of, of the public. But, you know, we had the leak of the Dobbs decision, you know, a month or so before it was to come out. But I want to start off with a quote, and I just kind of I think people need to understand the purpose of the Supreme Court. So Robert George sent something out on social media about a week or so ago, and it says something important that many people, including lawyers and even law professors, seem to not understand is that the Supreme Court decisions are often not about the poli- what policy should be, but rather about which level of government or institution should make the policy? How how important is it for people to really understand the purpose of the Supreme Court before they before they go crazy? Yeah, Professor George hits the nail on the head. One of the things that's so unique about the American government that our framers set up is that uh, they had this one realization early on, which is that you know power needs to be separated. And in America, they did separate power between three branches of government, between the states and the federal government. And what that means is that everybody has a different job. Uh, And uh, it's not every branch and every state and every federal uh, agency's job to set policy. Uh, The legislature gets to write policy into law. The executive branch gets to uh, enforce that law. The judiciary gets to say what that law means in the context of specific debates. Uh, but, you know, he hits the nail on the head when he says that it's not the judge's job to set policy. Uh, they are just interpreting laws. And oftentimes what that means, like he says, is that uh, it may be the case that they need to say, you know, the Constitution says this, the Constitution doesn't say that. Uh, but they don't have the power to say the Constitution should say this or the laws should say that. And for a lot of our nation's history, that's exactly what judges did. They said, look, uh, you know, we can't trust the legislature to do what we think is right as a matter of policy. Well, we're not willing to trust the people to get the answer right. Uh, so we're going to pick, we're going to rewrite the Constitution to pick the policies that we think are best. Uh, and what this term of the Supreme Court, if anything really defines it, it's a, the Supreme Court said, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, we are taking a step back and we're going to uh, you know, weaken the power of the judiciary. We're going to make ourselves weaker. Uh, so that the American people can return uh, to governing themselves in a lot of these really important issues. Well, and, you know, just from recent rulings, I think it was 2015, the Obergefell decision on same-sex marriage. Just a couple of years ago, right, we had the Bostock versus Clayton County, the Right. The the decision that I think Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion on that he sided with you know, gender ideology becoming part of civil law. I mean, we really have seen them writing policy that, you know, to the to the per the normal person who sees things, 
you know, from a proper, especially biblical perspective, are just outrageous. And when you read some of these decisions, whether I think it was Kennedy who wrote Obergefell, uh, you know, it was all about feelings and different things. It wasn't about, you know, what we were just talking about in terms of, you know, making up stuff that the Constitution says when it really doesn't address. Right. That's right. And it's the big danger of the judiciary. I mean, the judiciary is not a democratic institution. It's not supposed to be because uh, if the if you know America is founded on the idea that the majority rules, but the minority has rights, the minority rights are going to be protected. You need and you need one branch of government uh, that is not subject to the majority. But that power comes with an enormous responsibility, which is to which is modesty. Uh, ju- judges must be modest in the use of their non-democratic power, and what that means is uh, that they need to stick to the text of the Constitution because that's what the people chose to govern them and that they need to stick to the text of laws because that's what the people's representatives chose to govern them. Uh, but, you know, Justice Kennedy was a very good example of this uh, when he got a sort of moral idea into his mind to him that trumped the law and that trumped the Constitution. Uh, and that means that, you know, you had one one man whose moral view of the world is more important than the majority of the of the American people, and that's not what the judiciary is all about. Well, and now we see, you know, and we've heard about it, you know, ever since uh, the new administration took office. Right, it's about court packing, so it's not about following the Constitution. It's about I want what I want. It's almost like the spoiled child in the sandbox. I'm going to take my toys and go home. It's I'm going to impose my will and change the structure of the Supreme Court so that I can get what I want. And, you know, the hell with the Constitution, basically. That's exactly right. You know, the way I like to think about Roe versus Wade, uh, you know, you, you, you imagine a, a game on, on a playground uh, between kids and uh, a teacher comes along and changes the rules of the game so that one kid gets an unfair advantage. You know, this is uh, the, the fight is you know, the fight over abortion in, in the democratic processes of the states and the judiciary comes along and says, no, one of you just win. Uh, you know, it's, it's judicial cheating. And what happened today in the, uh, this term in Dobbs, the Supreme Court said, you know, no more cheating. Everybody has to play by the same rules. And the people who have benefited from, you know, the cheating, which was the judiciary stealing the issue and putting the thumb on the scales of one side, since 1973, are very mad about it. Uh, if you were given an unfair advantage that you've benefited from for decades, uh, I can see that you might be mad too. But if you step back uh, and re- recognize that what happened here is the judiciary just said, you know, we've we got to play fair. We need to obey the terms of the Constitution. Uh, and uh, nobody gets an unfair judicial advantage in these uh, policy fights. And really what they're trying to do, at least with and with the Dobbs decision, right, it's really subsidiarity, right? Send it down to the lower level, let people be able to vote and decide on it. This isn't something that the federal level should be should overreach and just mandate, right? That's exactly right. And it's there's an irony here that for the last four years, uh, a number of people on the left have been shouting about how the Republican Party stands for the death of democracy. Uh, but Dobbs is the most pro-democracy decision that the Supreme Court has handed down in several generations, and they are very upset about it. Right. And we've seen to the point where we're, we're ignoring federal law by allowing people to go out and try to intimidate 
Supreme Court justices into changing their decision because we had the leak, you know, a month or so ago. And the federal government and, you know, the Biden administration is basically saying, hey, go do whatever you want. And it, it really is a travesty to allow this kind of intimidation take place, because then all of a sudden all you have is, you know, the biggest, meanest kid on the playground gets to decide the rules. Yeah, this this has been the most shameful moment for the Democratic Party in a long time. The fact that they are completely silent, in fact, probably happy with uh, people going to the houses of Supreme Court justices. Uh, there was hardly any comment about a man who went to Justice Kavanaugh's home to assassinate him. Uh, just a wholesale abandonment of uh, this institution and the people in it simply because it's not giving them the outcomes they want. What our founders recognized is that you need a system of government that is going to endure for generations, no matter what the political fight of the day is. And there are rules that we all agree on underneath uh, all of these political fights uh, that we agree on a set of rules by which we have them. These are rules of decorum. They are rules uh, of procedure that make sure that we don't devolve into the sort of barbarism uh, that we saw, say, in the French Revolution. Uh, but those rules, those, those Marquess of Queensbury rules, if you will, for political debate in America uh, are being thrown out by Democrats because they're not getting what they want. What this is is a recipe for you know, maybe, maybe a short-term political win for them, but a long-term serious loss for American self-government. Right. And, you you know, you mentioned the, the French Revolution, right, known as the Enlightenment. And it was really anything but. And that's the same thing we have now. Right. We now we now have a new Supreme Court justice coming on board to Johnny Jackson Brown, I think is her name. And, you know, she couldn't even define what a woman is. Right. So afraid to say that because I'm not a biologist, so I can't say what a woman is. I mean, that's the type of people they want on the Supreme Court, which has nothing to do with the Constitution, right? It's all about uh, progressives putting their social justice or their social uh, pet projects through and forcing it on people. One of the most telling things for me, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Justice Jackson is like. All, all, all signs point to her being, you know, extremely liberal. Uh, and very much the sort of judicial activist that, uh, say, Sonia Sotomayor is. But one of the most telling things for me is she was asked while you know, during these uh, uh, riots and protests at the justices' houses uh, if she would condemn that sort of behavior, and she wouldn't. Uh, these, are, these are people she's going to be sitting with. These are people she's probably going to be spending the rest of her professional life with. And she would not condemn uh, people going to their houses. Because I guess if you condemn or you actually speak truth, you lose your card. You can no longer play in our in our game and we'll, we'll start attacking you. And it, it really is a sad, sad scenario when we see how the judiciary has devolved into, you know, trying to make it a puppet organization or a puppet institution to to get through what you want. So we talked about you know, the Dobbs decision, we've seen all the, you know, craziness, the attacks on pregnancy resource centers, right? People are, you know, threatening and, and sitting members of Congress in the Senate are encouraging, you know, violence towards towards this. It really, they, they really just seem like petulant children, don't they? 
Yeah, the problem is that they're dangerous, uh, petulant children. They're petulant yes. children with a lot of power. Uh, we have seen in, in recent years an enormous spike uh, in left-wing political violence uh, from the, the riots uh, during 2020 to uh, the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, which is inspired by a lot of left-wing politicians' rhetoric. Uh, that's, I mean, really dangerous. It's, it's, they're, they're not just you know, throwing a tantrum. They are inciting mobs and inciting people to do violence. And it wasn't just the Dobbs decision, right? We have the concealed carry case from New York where they tried to make it virtually impossible for somebody to be able to carry carry a gun, which was in direct violation of the Second Amendment. And the Supreme Court basically said, uh, yeah, you can't do this. And that was another issue, right? People have gone bonkers on because they think the Second Amendment isn't beneficial to them and they want to take it away and they want to take away people's guns. So you know, the ends kind of justify the means in their eyes. You, your summary is exactly right. New York essentially made it so that you could keep arms, but you could not bear arms. Uh, and the Supreme Court said, look, the Second Amendment says you can keep and bear arms. Uh, but yet there is a, an enormous concerted push uh, against the Second Amendment on this mistaken idea uh, that uh, taking people's guns away will reduce crime. Of course, uh, that's not correct at all. As a matter of fact, the overwhelming majority of uh, gun crimes are suicides. Um, they are not, and, uh, you know, the overwhelming majority of crimes committed uh, against other people with guns are by uh, uh, people who are not law-abiding citizens, who are not you know, wielding uh, lawfully owned guns. Um, but the truth is, you know, guns are used in defense of self uh, just as much uh, then they are used to attack others unlawfully. Uh, and well, there's another. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I was just going to add that, you know, you can look at the stats. It's not concealed gun carriers are the ones <laughs> perpetrating all these crimes. As a matter of fact, it's almost infinitesimal in terms of their acting out in the way that these criminals are doing. Yet they want to make sure they take their guns away and the criminals will always have their guns. We also had the other case, another case that, um, you know, seems at its face, seems absurd that it made it this far because it's just common sense. But we had the football coach in Bremerton, Washington, who would pray after games on the field. And this had to go all the way to the Supreme Court so that his First Amendment rights would be honored, right? Right. This was a high school coach who, uh, after games, would kneel and silently pray uh, on the field. Now, he didn't invite people to come with him, but some of his students sometimes would because they shared uh, his faith. Uh, but all he did was silently pray on the field. Uh, and the school said, well, you can't do that because it looks like we're endorsing a religion, uh, which is nonsense. You're absolutely right. He is a man with a First Amendment right uh, to the free exercise of his religion. Uh, but this, but it had to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, lo the school fired him. Uh, the lower courts upheld that decision on the mistaken idea that uh, you have to avoid even the appearance, the establishment clause of the First Amendment requires you to avoid even the appearance of uh, any sort of religious practice in a public school. And the Supreme Court said, no way. You can't interpret the establishment clause uh, in such a way to, to deny somebody their right to the free exercise of their religion. The First Amendment, above all else, protects liberty. Uh, it protects 
this man's freedom to express his religion as he wants and not this um, arbitrary, non-constitutional idea of this separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution. Uh, it is only what the Constitution says is that the, the state shall make no establishment of religion. It won't endorse a particular religion. It won't create the Church of England uh, like, uh, like, like the kings of England did. Uh, but uh, we went so far off the rails in that way that a man couldn't even pray uh, silently to himself simply because uh, people could see him. And that is, frankly, nuts. And, you know, you see these decisions and, you know, 6-3, six, 6-3, three, six, I think this one was 6-3-2. To think that three Supreme Court justices, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Beyer, couldn't see that this was a clear First Amendment violation really almost makes you scratch your head. I mean, they, if they can't see that, it's hard to imagine them being objective. In really any First Amendment case that involves somebody who's conservative. Yeah, and what this, what these kind of, you know, this is a win. The Kennedy case is a win. But remember, any judicial win follows a serious loss uh, in uh, in public life. Every win on religious liberty is a rearguard victory uh, because there is so much hostility uh, in our public institutions towards people who have religion uh, and who express that publicly. Uh, and so, you know, when you see three justices in dissent saying, look, this guy should, you know, ha- needs to hide his religion in public, that serves to underscore the fact that, you know, there is so much hostility among anyone who has any sort of public power out there, that these, these judicial victories are great, uh, but they are you know, not the end-all, be-all. There is a, a much broader fight that we need to be having to change uh, minds and to change culture. In a culture that, right, we've, we've gone from you know, a Christian society to a pagan society, for the most part, from everything we see and hear out there. And, you know, we, we even have, you know, the, the personal attacks on Clarence Thomas, Right. I mean, even, you know, even though he he's black, they they are treating him like he's an Uncle Tom and a traitor. And the 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 vile response to Clarence Thomas or even the the mayor of Chicago was, you know, using all kind of swearing and language, you know, chastising him because he did what he's called to do in terms of upholding the Constitution on a number of issues. And he's actually become more outspoken. You can see more comments from him really defending truth. And he doesn't care whether if everybody agrees with him or anybody agrees with him, right? I think his comment was, the truth is always the truth, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. That's right. I mean, Justice Thomas uh, does not care, and he is going to speak truth to power. Uh, But if you want to see what the... Uh, you know, race-obsessed or, or supposedly intolerant left thinks about race, introduce them to a black conservative, and you will see some of the most heinous, racist vitriol that you thought died 70 years ago. No, uh, the left cannot tolerate a black conservative, and it, it, is, it has been really ugly stuff lately. Well, it's almost in their mind, it's an oxymoron, right? If you don't follow the party line because of your skin color, then you're no longer that race and you're just, you become the enemy. There really is no objectivity. There's no willingness to see that there can be two sides to a coin. It really is, it's, it's my way or we need to get rid of you. 
That's right. And it tells you, gives you a hint about what they think about uh, black people as thinkers. Uh, the idea that, uh, you know, no black person could possibly disagree with their party line, uh, but be some sort of, you know, backwards idiot. I mean, y- you don't say the same thing about white people. Uh, it's really disconcerting uh, where this racism of theirs goes. Well, and there are no bounds, right? The, again, as I mentioned, the ends justify the means they can do whatever they want. There's another, uh, the la- I think one of the last decisions that came out was, you know, really an important one that people may have missed where, you know, it was the EPA case out of, out of West Virginia, I believe it involved coal, where the Supreme Court said, no, you, if you're going to make these decisions, this has to be done through the Congress. It has to be done through the democratic process. You're not going to have some unelected board just randomly make decisions, right? Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest, I think, stealth issues that a lot of conservatives uh, don't uh, realize is is so important uh, is the power of the administrative state uh, and the way that executive agencies have over the years uh, just taken for themselves so much power. Uh, And these are agencies which, you know, you can't vote a bureaucrat out of office, and they are stacked from top to bottom with the hardest left liberals you can imagine. Uh, They cannot be kicked out. Uh, They will do almost whatever they want. Uh, And uh, Congress has been very happy over the years to let them run amok. And so we had an enormous, you know, a, an enormously consequential decision in West Virginia versus EPA, where the Environmental Protection Agency had a statute that allowed it to regulate uh, to, a, to a limited extent uh, power plants. And the EPA said, no, you know what, this, this statute, actually, we're going to rewrite it, rewrite it so that we can just control the entire energy market uh, and make it green the way we want. And the Supreme Court said, hold on a second. Uh, you have only as much power as Congress has been willing to give you, and Congress did not give you that kind of power. Now, what's really interesting is the conniption fit that people on the left have had about this. Again, these are people yep. who will tell you that they support democracy. Uh, <laughs> but when the court says, you know, the unaccountable administrative state is accountable to our democratically elected representatives, they are very upset about this. Uh, but it is an enormously important case precisely because the administrative state, which is a left-wing, unaccountable power center, uh, needs to answer at least a little bit to our representatives. And that is, that is a big win. And conservatives, I think, in general, need to pay a lot more attention to what the administrative state is doing and how uh, the courts can be used to push back on it. Uh, than, than they do. I think we focus a lot, rightly so, on, on big, important policy issues like Dobbs. But the real power center in government is the administrative state. It's not Congress. Uh, it's not even the courts. It's the administrative state. Uh, and it is uh, a runaway train. Well, and, you know, we talked about the concealed carry case in New York, but, you know, the ATF is another branch that just goes and does whatever and, and changes, you know, all kind of rules. And then, you know, what's legal, and what's not legal. So, I mean, this decision really has ramifications for those other agencies like the ATF and different groups, as you were saying, that, you know, think they are God's gift to the world. And it's kind of heads I win, tails you lose. We will make up rules and, and squash you and do it 
not through the democratic process, but through these groups. That's right. So hopefully, you know, the court, if nothing else, the court has given the EPA an enormous rebuke and has signaled to other executive agencies that might be uh, tempted to uh, depart from their mandates to enact far left uh, policy proposals that uh, the court's watching. And uh, we're not going to they're not going to let that that sort of behavior go. So we're down. I, I knew this would be a you know very uh, informative and, and fun interview because there's just so much to talk about. We're down to the last couple minutes. Where do you see us going? I mean, you know, do you see them being able to pack the court? Uh, what do you see moving forward uh, with the current makeup of the Supreme Court? Them trying not to get cases to go there so they don't have to deal with the decisions. So it's very interesting you ask that. Well, right now we have a pretty solid conservative majority, and that's a good thing, especially because we need somebody, we need a court that's willing to balance out the Biden administration. Uh, His executive agencies are truly off the rails, uh, rewriting laws, uh, violating administrative procedure, all in service of this aggressive, culturally left policy prescriptions. So it's good that we've got the court there and that they're looking at administrative issues uh, in particular. Now, whether uh, how the Biden administration responds to that, this is not a particularly thoughtful administration. Uh, I don't think that they're going to change their behavior. Uh, and, and actually, in a way, from, from a conservative standpoint, that's almost a good thing, uh, it, because I don't expect that the Biden administration is going to be sophisticated in its attempts to get around the Supreme Court. They're going to barrel forward uh, like a train off the tracks, uh, and that's going to make it a lot easier for the courts to uh, put the kibosh on a lot of what they want to do. Uh, On the the, uh, subject of court packing, I don't think it's going to happen. Unfortunately, though, what is happening is that serves a very useful narrative that the Supreme Court is somehow illegitimate. That's the talking point you'll hear. I mean, every Democratic rep and every Democratic media figurehead uh, we'll use that word over and over and over again. Uh, and it doesn't serve any functional, pro- it doesn't change what the court's going to do, but it does undermine our sense of what it means to have a good and functioning government. Uh, it is a recipe for more rioting in the streets. It's a recipe for more anger. Uh, it's a recipe for more violence. Uh, there are ways, you know, that you can fight well and that you can, you know, fight legitimately, but undermining our institutions uh, is not the way to go. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.